up, what's up? I'm in my podcast. So we have a lot of things to talk about today, um, including the fact that um, Dr. Min Yi Min Lee was on Tucker Carlson yesterday once again. And um, she has spoken out several times about the coronavirus being genetically modified in a lab. And she's written several papers about this information. And now we have, you know, senators like Ron Paul. We have a former U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, also giving credence to her findings, which she published um, more than um, seven months ago in September of 2020. So the first thing I'm going to show you, I'm just going to show you a quick clip of what she looks like, what she said on record several times, and then we're going to get into the paper. So let me pull up that clip for you one second. Let me pull that up. I'm gonna, and then you know put some of the pointers in in, in this report I, I want to get his response because he's sitting in Beijing he knows exactly how Beijing is responding to all of this uh, this report says and I quote and referring to the circumstantial right. evidence that General Bakshi made a brief mention of this report says that the Chinese government has uh, has has I'm purely reading from this. It says the government, Chinese government has lied, obfuscated, covered up, blocked the flow of information. It took Beijing nearly three weeks to even acknowledge there was human-to-human -human transfer. Wuhan Institute of Virology and Chinese government stymied and manipulated a WHO 28-day review of COVID-19's origins. Uh, Wuhan Institute and China silenced medical workers and journalists trying to report on the outbreak. And point number five, it makes 54 Chinese health officials confirmed guidelines issued to destroy samples of coronavirus from the Wuhan Institute because they suppressed all records at the WIV and they wanted to hide something. That's what this report says. Now, how would Beijing respond to a report like this, Mr. Tang? Well, it's a, it's a partisan report put out by the Republicans who've been fairly clear on what they think of China. Uh, I don't think that's a, a big mystery. The idea that they would be using propaganda to push a point is, is not unusual. Uh, just one clarification. I am a doctor of laws, not medicine. Right. I'm a political and economic affairs commentator. Yeah. So I'm not speaking from a medical background, but I'm quite surprised that the, the panel doesn't include more, um, you know, let us say, more leading lights from the medical profession. I mean, I'm hearing a, a whole raft of conspiracy theories. One, that the we Americans and Chinese somehow uh, work together. I, I really don't understand it. No, you don't have anyone who's, uh, who's an accredited virologist. The, the young lady is, uh, is that is not her field. And there are questions about her, her background. I understand that people feel very strongly emotionally about what they think are facts. But facts are something that you can't change. They are uh, what they are, saying that everybody knows something. Uh, well, everybody used to know that the world was flat, but that didn't work out very well either. So at, at this juncture, I mean, Beijing is kind of puzzled as to why people are putting in all these wild conspiracy theories. The only conclusion is that the countries who did not handle COVID very well are trying to escape 
any kind of blame by blaming China. Instead of looking internally at what went wrong, how they should be responding more effectively, uh, they're saying, oh, it's not our fault, uh, the Chinese did this to us, uh, etc. So uh, it uh, seems to be much more about scapegoats than anything else. Yeah. So you guys just saw that clip. So um, we're going to look at her paper today. As you can see, her paper has over 1.2 million views, 700,000 downloads. So it's been widely circulated. And I've never really looked into it that much, but I'm definitely happy to have access to it. In fact, I'm going to download it right now if I can. Let me see. How do you download this? Here we go. So I have a, a copy of it. I think there's a part one and a part two. So we're just gonna look at the paper in its entirety right now. Anything that's a little too complicated or a little too scientific, I'm going to break down for you. So um, the title of the paper is Unusual Features of the SARS-CoV-2 Genome. Now the genome would be the, the genetics of what makes the proteins for the virus, basically the blueprint for the virus. So they're saying there's unusual features inside this virus that suggests sophisticated laboratory modification, which um, rather than natural evolution and delineation of its probable synthetic route, okay? And it's written by Lee Min Young, who's a doctor. She has a PhD and an MD. And Xu Kang, who has a PhD. Di Guan, who has a PhD. And Shang Shuang, who all of them have uh, PhDs. So very interesting. So that was the abstract. So let's get into the introduction. Okay. As a coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2 differs significantly from other respiratory and or zoonotic viruses. It attacks multiple organs. It is capable of undergoing a long period of asymptomatic infection. It is highly transmissible and significantly lethal in high-risk populations. It is well adapted to humans since the very start of its emergence. It is highly efficient in binding the human ACA2 receptor, the affinity of which is greater than that associated with the ACE2 of any other potential host. The existing scientific publications supporting a natural origin theory rely heavily on a single piece of evidence, a previously discovered bat coronavirus named RATG13, which shares a 96% nucleotide sequence identity with SARS-CoV-2. However, the existence of RAT-TG13 in nature and the truthfulness of its reported sequence are being widely questioned. It is of noteworthy that scientific journals have clearly censored any dissenting opinions that suggest a non-natural origin of SARS-CoV-2. Because of this censorship, articles questioning either the national natural origin of SARS-CoV-2 or the actual existence of RAT-G13, although of high quality scientifically, can only exist as preprints or other non-peer-reviewed articles published on various online platforms. Nonetheless, analyses of these reports have repeatedly pointed to severe problems and a probable fraud associated with the reporting of RATG13. Therefore, the theory that fabricated scientific data has been published to mislead the world's efforts in tracing the origin of SARS-CoV-2 has become substantially convincing and is interlocked with the notion that SARS-CoV-2 is of a non-natural origin. 
Consistent with this notion, genomic, structural, and literature evidence also suggest a non-natural origin of SARS-CoV-2. In addition, abundant literature indicates that gain-of-function research has long advanced to the stage where viral genomes can be precisely engineered and manipulated to enable the creation of novel coronavirus possessing unique properties. In this report, we present such evidence and the associated analyses. Part one of the report describes the genomic and structural features of SARS-CoV-2, the presence of which could be consistent with the theory that the virus is a product of a laboratory modification beyond what could be afforded by a simple serial viral passage. Part two of the report describes a highly probable pathway for the laboratory creation of SARS-CoV-2, <clears throat> key steps of which are supported by evidence present in the viral genome. Importantly, part two should be viewed as a demonstration of how SARS-CoV-2 can be conveniently created in a laboratory <clears throat> in a short period of time, <clears throat> excuse me, using available materials and well-documented techniques. So let's, let's get into it. All right, the question is, has SARS-CoV-2 been subjected to in vitro manipulation? In vitro just means in a laboratory. So we present three lines of evidence to support our contention that laboratory manipulation is part of the history of SARS-CoV-2. The genomic sequence of SARS-CoV-2 is suspiciously similar to that of a bat coronavirus discovered by military laboratories in the third medical medical military university and the research institute for, for medicine of nanjing command number two the receptor binding motif within the spike protein of sars-cov-2 which determines the host specificity of the virus resembles that of sars-cov from the 2003 epidemic in a suspicious manner genomic evidence suggests that the rbm has been genetically modified or manipulated SARS-CoV-2 contains a unique furon cleavage site in a spike protein, which is known to greatly inherit, enhance viral infectivity and cell tropism. Yet this cleavage site is completely absent in this particular class of coronaviruses found in nature. In addition, rare codons associated with this additional sequence suggest the possibility that this furon cleavage site is not the product of natural evolution and could have been inserted into the SARS-CoV genome artificially by technique, techniques other than simple serial passage or multi-strain recombination events inside co-infected tissue cultures or animals. All right, so this paper here is called Genomic Sequence Analysis Revealed that ZC45 or a closely related bat coronavirus should be the backbone used for the creation of SARS-CoV-2. Okay, so it says, the structure of the 30,000 nucleotides long SARS-CoV-2 genome is shown in figure one. Searching the NCBI sequence database reveals among all known coronaviruses, there were two related bat coronaviruses, ZC45 and ZCX21, that share the highest sequence identity with SARS-CoV-2. 
Each bat coronavirus is 89% identical to SARS-CoV-2 on the nucleotide level. Similarity between the genome of SARS-CoV-2 and those of representative B coronaviruses is depicted in figure one. ZXC21, which is 97% identical to and shares a very similar profile with ZC45 is not shown. Okay. When SARS-CoV-2 and ZC45, ZXC21 are compared on the amino acid level, a high sequence identity is observed for most of the proteins. The nucleocapsid protein is 94% identical. The membrane protein is 98.6% identical. The S2 portion of the spike protein is 95% identical. Importantly, the ORF8 protein is 94.2% identical and the E protein is 100% identical. ORF8 is an accessory protein, the function of which is largely unknown in most coronaviruses, although recent data suggests that ORF8 of SARS-CoV-2 mediates the invasion of host adaptive immunity by downregulating MHC1. Normally, ORFR8 is poorly conserved in coronaviruses. Sequence blast indicates that while the ORF proteins of ZC45 and ZCX21 share a 94.2% identity with SARS-CoV-2 ORF8, no other coronaviruses share more than 58% identity with SARS-CoV-2 on this particular protein. The very high homology here on the normally, normally poorly conserved ORFA protein is highly unusual. Mm. The coronavirus E protein is a structural protein which is embedded in and lines the interior of the membrane envelope of the virion. The E protein is tolerant of mutations as evidence in both SARS and related back coronaviruses. This tolerance to amino acid mutations of the E protein is further evidence in the current SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. After only a short two-month spread of the virus outbreak in humans, the E proteins in SARS-CoV-2 have already undergone mutational changes. Sequence data obtained during the month of April reveals that mutations have occurred at four different locations and different strains. Consistent with this finding, sequence blast analysis indicates that, with the exception of SARS-CoV-2, no known coronaviruses share 100% amino acid sequence identity on the E protein with ZC45ZXC21. Although 100% identity on the E protein has been observed between SARS-CoV and certain SARS-related back coronaviruses, none of those pairs simultaneously share over 83% identity on the ORF8 protein. Therefore, 94.2% identity on the ORF8 protein, 100% identity on the E protein, and the overall genomic amino acid level resemblance between SARS-CoV-2 and ZC45ZXC21 are highly unusual. Such evidence, when considered together, is consistent with a hypothesis that the SARS-CoV-2 genome has an origin based on the use of ZC45, ZCXC21 as a backbone 
and or template for genetic gain of function modifications. Importantly, ZC45 and ZCX21 are back coronaviruses that were discovered between July 2015 and February 2017, isolated and characterized by military research laboratories. What strengthens our contention further is the published RATG13 virus, the genomic sequence of which is reportedly 96% identical to that of SARS-CoV-2. While suggesting a natural origin of SARS-CoV-2, the RATG13 virus also diverted the attention of both the scientific field and the general public away from ZC45 and ZCX21. In fact, a Chinese BSL-13 lab, which published a Nature article reporting a conflicting close phylogenetic relationship between SARS-CoV-2 and ZC45 was quickly shut down for rectification. It is believed that researchers of that laboratory were being punished for having disclosed the SARS-CoV-2 ZC45 connection. On the other hand, substantial evidence has accumulated pointing to severe problems associated uh, along with a questioning the actual existence of this bat, this bat virus in nature. 1.2, the receptor binding motif of SARS-CoV-2 spike cannot be born from nature and should have been created through genetic engineering. The spike proteins decorate the exterior of the coronavirus particles. They play an important role in infection as they mediate the interaction between the host cell receptors and thereby help determine the host range and tissue tropism of the virus. The spike protein is split into two halves. The front or north half is called S1, which is fully responsible for binding the host receptor. In both SARS-CoV and SARS-CoV-2 inf infections, the host cell receptor is HACE2. Within S1, a segment of around 70 amino acids makes direct content, contact with HAC2 and is correspondingly named the receptor binding motif. In SARS-CoV and SARS-CoV-2, the RBM fully determines the interaction with HAC2. The C-terminal half of the spike protein is named S2. The main function of S2 includes maintaining trimer formation, and moderating membrane fusion to enable cellular entry of the virus. As elaborated below, the way that the SARS-CoV-2 RBM resembles SARS-CoV RBM and the overall sequence conservation pattern between SARS-CoV-2 and ZC45 are highly unusual. Collectively, this suggests that portions of the SARS-CoV-2 genome have not been derived from natural quasi-species viral particle evolution. If SARS-CoV-2 does indeed come from natural evolution, its RBM could have only been acquired in one of the two possible routes, an ancient recombination event followed by convergent evolution or a natural recombination event that occurred fairly recently. In the first scenario, the ancestor of SARS-CoV-2 as ZC45ZXC21-like bat coronavirus would have been recombined and swapped its RBM with a coronavirus carrying a relatively complete RBM. This recombination would result in a novel ZC45 
like coronavirus with all its gaps in its RBM field. Subsequently, the virus would have to adapt extensively in its new host, where the ACE2 protein is highly homogenous to the HACE2. Random mutations across the genome would have to have occurred to eventually shape the RBM to its current form, resembling SARS-CoV RBM in a highly intelligent matter. However, this convergent evolution process would also result in the accumulation of a large amount of mutations in other parts of the genome, rendering the overall sequence identity relatively low. The high sequence identity between SARS-CoV-2 and ZC45 on various proteins, 94 to 100% identity, do not support the scenario and therefore clearly indicates that SARS-CoV-2 carrying such an RBM cannot come from a ZC45-like bad coronavirus through this convergent evolutionary route. In this second scenario, like coronavirus would have been recently recombined and swapped its RBM with another coronavirus that has successfully adapted to bind an animal ACE2 highly homologous to HACE2. The likelihood of such an event depends in part on the general requirements of natural recombination. One, that the two different viruses share significant sequence similarity. Two, that they must co-infect and be present in the same cell of the same animal. Three, that the recombinant virus will not be cleared by the host or make the host extinct. And four, that the recombinant virus eventually would have to become stable and transmissible within the host species. In regard to this recent recombination scenario, the animal reservoir cannot be bats because the ACE2 proteins in bats are not homologous enough to HAC2, and therefore the adoption would not be able to yield an RBM sequence as seen in SARS-CoV-2. This animal reservoir also could not be humans as the ZC45 like coronavirus would not be able to infect humans. In addition, there has been no evidence of any SARS-CoV-2 like virus circulating in the human population prior to late 2019. Intriguingly, according to a recent bioinformatics study, SARS-CoV-2 was well adapted for humans since the start of the outbreak. So what they're saying is that there, this, this RBM, this receptor binding um, mechanism is how the virus will be able to share this code with a bat virus. But it doesn't work because what they're saying is that the bat virus would have to be able to infect human cells, which we know it can't do. And it would also have to have a lot of mutations, which there is no evidence of that. They're 94 to 100% identical. Only one other possibility of natural evolution remains, which is that the ZC45ZX21-like virus and a coronavirus containing a SARS-like RBM could have been recombined in an intermediate host where the ACE2 protein is homologous to HAC2. Several laboratories have reported that some of the Sunda pangolins smuggled into China from Malaysia carried coronaviruses, the receptor binding domain of which is almost identical to that of SARS-CoV-2. They then went on to suggest that pangolins are the likely intermediate host for SARS-CoV-2. However, recent independent reports have found significant flaws in this data. Furthermore, contrary to these reports, no coronaviruses have been detected in Sunda 
pangolin samples collected for over a decade in Malaysia and Sabah between 2009 and 2019. A recent study also showed that the RBD, which is shared between SARS-CoV-2 and the reported pangolins as the possible intermediate host. Finally, an in silico study, while echoing the notion that pangolins are not likely an intermediate host, also indicated that none of the animal ACE2 proteins examined in this study exhibited more favorable binding potential to the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein than HACE2 did. This last study virtually exempted all animals from their suspected roles as an intermediate host, which is consistent with the observation that SARS-CoV-2 was well adapted for humans from the start of the outbreak. This is significant because these findings collectively suggest that no intermediate host seems to exist for SARS-CoV-2, which at the very least diminishes the possibility of a recombinant event occurring in an intermediate host. So what they're saying is that um, there's no way that this could have happened because again, they looked at the animals in Malaysia and they're, they're, those proteins did not bind to those animals very well. And so this virus from the very beginning has been well adapted to humans. Okay, so she's just kind of laying down the research. She was just laying down the history of it. She was just laying down everything, you know, as far as how everything came about. So as we have described here, if natural recombination event is responsible for the appearance of SARS-CoV-2, then the ZC45ZXC21-like virus and a coronavirus containing a SARS-like RBM would have to recombine in the same cell by swapping the S1 RBM, which is a rare form of recombination. Furthermore, since SARS has occurred only once in human history, it will be at least equally rare for nature to produce a virus that resembles SARS in such an intelligent matter, having an RBM that differs from the SARS RBM only at a few non-essential sites. The possibility that this unique SARS-like coronavirus would reside in the same cell with the ZC45, like ancestor virus, and the two viruses will recombine in the RBM swapping fashion is extremely low. Importantly, this and the other recombination event below described in section 1.3, even more impossible to incur in nature, will both have to happen to produce a spike as seen in SARS-CoV-2. While the above evidence and analysis together appear to disprove a natural origin of SARS-CoV-2's RBM, abundant literature shows that gain-of-function research where the spike protein of a coronavirus was specifically engineered has repeatedly led to the successful generation of human-infecting coronaviruses from coronaviruses of non-human origin. Record also shows that research laboratories, for example, the Wuhan Institute of Virology have successfully carried out such studies working with US resources, researchers and also working alone. In addition, the WIV has engaged in decades long coronavirus surveillance studies and therefore owns the world's largest collection of coronaviruses. Evidently, the technical barrier is non-existence for the Wuhan Institute of virology and other related laboratories to carry out and succeed in such spike RBM engineering and gain of function research.
So what she's showing here in figure five is that two restriction sites are present at either end of the RBM of SARS-CoV-2 providing convenience for replacing the RBM within the spike gene. Mm, how convenient. How convenient that the restriction sites are at the end of the receptin binding mechanism and that makes it more replaceable. So you can replace it with another gene. That's exactly what they did. Strikingly consistent with the RBM engineering theory, we have identified two unique restriction sites, ECORI and BSTEII, at either end of the RBM of the SARS-CoV-2 genome. These two sites, which are popular choices of everyday molecular cloning, do not exist in the rest of the spike gene. This particular setting makes it extremely convenient to swap the RBM within the spike, providing a quick way to test different RBMs and the corresponding spike proteins. Such ECORI and BSTEII sites do not exist in the spike genes of other B coronaviruses, which strongly indicate that they were unnatural and were specifically introduced into the spike gene of SARS-CoV-2 for the convenience of manipulating the critical RBM. Although ZC45 spike also does not have these two sites, they can be introduced very easily as described in part two of this report. It is noteworthy that the introduction of the ECORI site here would change the corresponding amino acids from WNT to WNS. As far as we know, all SARS and SARS-like bat coronaviruses exclusively carry a threonine residue at this location. SARS-CoV-2 is the only exception in that this T has mutated to an S serine, save the suspicious RATG13 and pangolin coronaviruses published after the outbreak. Once the restriction sites were successfully introduced, the RBM segment could have been swapped conveniently using routine restriction enzyme digestion and ligation. Although alternative cloning techniques may leave no trace of genetic manipulation, gives on assembly as one example, this old-fashioned approach could be chosen because it offers a greater level of convenience in swapping this critical RBM. Given that RBM fully dictates HACE2 binding and that the SARS RBM HAC2 binding was fully characterized by high-resolution structures, this RBM-only swap would not be any riskier than the full spike swap. In fact, the feasibility of this RBM swap strategy has been proven. In 2008, Dr. Zingli Shi's group swapped a SARS RBM into the spike proteins of several SARS-like bat coronaviruses after introducing a restriction site into a codon-optimized spike gene. They then validated the binding of the resulting chimeric spike proteins with HACE2. Furthermore, in a recent publication, the RBM of SARS-CoV-2 was swapped into the receptor binding domain of SARS-CoV, resulting in a chimeric RBD fully functional and binding HACE2. Striking, in both cases, the manipulated RBM segments resemble almost exactly the RBM defined by the positions of the ECORI and BSTE2 sites. Although cloning details are lacking in both publications, it is conceivable that the actual restriction sites may vary 
depending on the spike gene receiving the RBM insertion, as well as the convenience in introducing unique restriction sites and regions of interest. It is noteworthy that the corresponding author of this recent publication, Dr. Fang Li, has been an active collaborator of Dr. Jing Li Shi since 2010. Dr. Li was the first person in the world to have structurally elucidated the binding between SARS-CoV RBD and HACE2 and has been the leading expert in the structural understanding of spike ACE2 interactions. The striking finding of ECORI and BSTE2 restriction sites at either end of the SARS-CoV-2 RBM respectively and the fact that the same RBM region have been swapped by Dr. Shi and her longtime collaborator respectively using restriction enzyme digestion methods are unlikely of coincidence. Rather, it is the smoking gun proving the RBM spike of SARS-CoV-2 is a product of genetic manipulation. Although it may be convenient to copy the exact sequence of SARS-RBM, it would be too clear a sign of artificial design and manipulation. The more deceiving approach would be to change a few non-essential residues while preserving the ones critical for binding. This design could be well guided by the high resolution structures. This way, the overall sequence of the RBM would appear to be more distinct from that of SARS-RBM. The HAC2 binding ability would be well preserved. We believe that all of the critical residues should have been kept. As described earlier, while some should be direct preservation, some have should have been switched to residues with similar properties, which would not disrupt HAC2 binding and may even strengthen the association further. Importantly, changes might have been intense, made intentionally at non-essential sites, making it less like a copy and paste of the SARS-RBM. Another unique motif in the spike protein is the unusual furon cleavage site present in the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 and is associated with the augmented virulence of the virus. Such a site can be recognized and cleaved by the furon protease. With the lineage B of B coronaviruses and with the exception of SARS-CoV-2, no viruses contain a furon cleavage site at the S1-S2 junction. In contrast, the furon cleavage site at this location has been observed in other groups of coronavirus. Certain selective pressure seems to be in place that prevents the lineage B of B coronaviruses from acquiring or maintaining such a site in nature. So what they're saying is that any bat coronavirus doesn't have this cleavage site in nature. There's something about it that just doesn't allow it to happen naturally, but conveniently, not only does SARS-CoV-2 have these um, restrictions inside its, its code where it, it's able to change how it binds, but it also has this unique way to bind through this furon cleavage site, which again, is not present in nature at all. As previously described during the cell entry process, the spike protein is first cleaved at the S1-S2 junction. This step and the subsequent cleavage downstream that exposes the fusion peptide 
are both mediated by host proteases. The presence or absence of these proteases in different cell types greatly affects the cell tropism and presumably the pathogenicity of the viral infection. Pathogenicity is just a word for saying how the virus starts or how the disease starts. Unlike other proteases, Firon protease is widely expressed in many types of cells and is present at multiple cellular and extracellular locations. Importantly, the introduction of a Firon cleavage site at the S1-S2 junction could significantly enhance the infectivity of a virus as well as greatly expanded cell tropism, a phenomenon well-documented in both influenza viruses and other coronaviruses. If we leave aside the fact that no furon cleavage site is found in any lineage B bat coronavirus in nature, and instead assume that this site in SARS-CoV-2 is a result of natural evolution, then only one evolutionary pathway is possible, which is that the furon cleavage site has to be derived from a homologous recombination event, specifically an ancestor B coronavirus containing no furon cleavage site would have to recombine with a closely related coronavirus that does contain a furon cleavage site. However, two facts disfavor this possibility. First, although some coronaviruses from other groups or lineages do contain polybasic furon cleavage sites, none of them contain the exact polybasic sequence present in SARS-CoV-2. Second, between SARS-CoV-2 and any coronavirus containing illegitimate Firon cleavage site, the sequence identity on the spike is no more than 40%. Such a low level of sequence identity rules out the possibility of a successful homologous recombination ever occurring between the ancestors of these viruses. Therefore, the Firon cleavage site within the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein is unlikely to be of unnatural origin and instead should be a result of laboratory modification. Consistent with this claim, a close examination of the nucleotide sequence of the furon cleavage site in the SARS-CoV-2 spike has revealed that the two consecutive ARD residues within the asserted sequence PRA, PRRA are both coded by the rare codon CGG, which is the least used codon for ARD in SARS-CoV-2. In fact, the CGG, CGG, arrangement is the only instance found in the SARS-CoV-2 genome where this rare codon is used in tandem. This observation strongly suggests that this furon cleavage site should be a result of genetic engineering. Addition to the suspicion, a file restriction site is formulated by the codon choices here, suggesting that the possibility that the restriction fragment lived polymorphism a technique that a WIV lab is proficient at could have been involved. There, the fragmentation pattern resulted from fall digestion could have been used to monitor the preservation of the furon cleavage site in spike as this furon cleavage site is prone to deletions in vitro. Specifically, RT-PCR on the spike gene of the recovered viruses from cell cultures or laboratory animals could be carried out the product of which could be subjected to fall digestion. Viruses retaining or losing the furon cleavage site would then yield distinct patterns 
allowing convenient tracking of the viruses of interest. In addition, although no known coronaviruses contain the exact sequence of PRRASVA that is present in the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, a similar sequence has been observed at the S1-S2 junction of the spike protein in a rodent coronavirus, which was published in 2017. It is evident that the legitimacy of RRAR as a functional furon cleavage site has been known to WIBX for since 2017. The evidence collectively suggests that the firm cleavage site in the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein may not have come from nature and could be the result of genetic manipulation. The purpose of this manipulation could have been to assess any potential enhancement of the infectivity and pathogenicity of the laboratory-made coronavirus. Indeed, recent studies have confirmed that the furon cleavage site does confer significant pathogenic advantages to SARS-CoV-2. Summary. Evidence presented in this part reveals that certain aspects of the SARS-CoV-2 genome are extremely difficult to reconcile to being a natural evolution. The alternative theory we suggest is that the virus may have been created by using a ZC45ZXC21 back coronavirus as a backbone and or template, the spike protein especially the RBM within it, should have been artificially manipulated upon which the virus has acquired the ability to bind HACE2 and affect humans. This is supported by the finding of a unique restriction enzyme digestion site at either end of the RBM. An unusual furon cleavage site may have been introduced and inserted at the S1-S2 junction of the spike protein, which contributes to the increased virulence and pathogenicity of the virus. These transformations have then staged the SARS-CoV-2 virus to eventually become a highly transmissible, onset head and lethal, sequelae unclear, and massively disruptive passenger. Evidently, the possibility that SARS-CoV-2 could have been created through gain-of-function manipulations at the WIV is significant and should be investigated thoroughly and independently. So that was the end of part one. And I just want to say that I know a lot of people listening to this podcast may not be in the field of virology, um, biology, molecular physics, whatever. But, you know, if I could say it in so many words and in a very simple, simple way is that there's no parent for this coronavirus. So when you um, have a child, your genetics are going to be very, very clearly associated with that child. And you will be able to tell um, by the characteristics of that child that that is your child. But what we're seeing here is that this coronavirus, um, it would not even have been possible for it to inherit certain features or certain genes and certain changes from any other natural evolution process, which they call recombination. Okay, and recombination is when two viruses come together inside a host and they basically exchange genetic, genetic information. And so this virus is 94 to 100% similar to a bat coronavirus that they discovered in Wuhan over 10 years ago. And the changes in that coronavirus are very specific to infect human cells, which is not something that any of the bat coronaviruses can do. They can only infect infect bats. So when they told people that, oh, the coronavirus came from bats and it jumped from bats to humans, well, that doesn't happen naturally. Um, A virus doesn't just jump from one species 
to another species, especially at the same time with these specific pathways that they've added with the furon cleavage site at the S1, S2 junction, that is where, you know, it becomes more transmissible and that is how it becomes more pathogenic. So a virus would not, um, not only would it be a huge leap in evolution for it to begin to infect humans, but then it would be an even larger leap in evolution to begin, um, you know, becoming more transmissible when they talk about the, the, the variants of concern that the World Health Organization has outlined, these variants of concern are five, 10, 20 times more transmissible than the regular Wuhan coronavirus, which they base their vaccines off of. So it's very, very telling to me that this is definitely gain of function research and definitely uh, very obviously something that China has been doing for decades. And it's very obvious that the entire world is under a, a form of a bioweapon. This is rightly called a bioweapon. And therefore, any vaccine that they create for this is completely insane because um, they're really just tapping into the pathogenic part of the virus, which they genetically modified as well. So um, yeah, it's just, just very, very crazy to me. Um, that this article came out so long ago, but it's very scientific. I know that the information is heavy. It's a lot of information in here. Um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a smoke break and then we're gonna do part two um, in a separate podcast. So if you enjoyed part one, I really hope you did. I hope you learned something because I definitely learned a lot about cells, a lot about viruses, a lot about evolution. I've learned so much about China and I've learned so much about what has been going on, you know, with all of this artificial intelligence and gen genetic engineering for the past 10 years. You know, they've been very, very busy spending countless hours in these laboratories to um, increase their gain of function research. And Dr. Fauci has definitely been exposed for that. So this is going to end part one. We're going to take a smoke break and then we're going to come, come back with part two. <laughs> Excuse me.